Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, at one time, the New York Sun was considered one of America's most influential newspapers. Now it's being relaunched with the aim of helping restore public trust in the press. We speak with the new publisher and CEO. Also this morning, it may not have the same intensity as Christmas when it comes to gift giving, but trend specialist Jennifer Lynch of the Toy Association has some great ideas to put in your kids' Easter baskets. In case you missed it, the Findlay Home and Garden Show returns to the Cube this weekend, and we have more tasty and easy-to-make recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, April 8th, 2022. Today, if you need a reason to celebrate, is Draw a Picture of a Bird Day. It is also International Romani Day, National All is Ours Day, National Empanada Day. Now, in case you don't know what an empanada is, it is a turnover pastry, which is uh, made of dough wrapped around a wide range of of sweet and savory fillings. It could be a dessert, some sort of fruit. Um, It could be a meal if it's wrapped uh, around a chicken or steak or beef or something like that. Um, You can make it any way you want. It's sort of like, if you ever had one of those uh, fry pies uh, that uh, they're famous for over in uh, Amish country, my wife is a big fan of those fry pies. And uh, this is kind of the same same thing. But again, you can put anything you want into it. It could be a dessert or it could be a meal. Empanada Day. So now you know. National Dogfighting Awareness Day. Step into the Spotlight Day. It is Zoo Lovers Day. And maybe the most important thing on a Friday, it is National Dive Bar Day. So there you go. <laughs> Some of the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started. You know that old saying that all publicity is good publicity, right? Any publicity is good publicity. Well, that is apparently true when it comes to online reviews as well. You think that uh, getting a bad review online would generally considered to be not good for a business, but a new study finds That is not always the case. Researchers at the University of British Columbia found that negative comments have very little effect in cases where brand relationships are strong and consumers personally identify with a brand's products. In some cases, they found negative reviews can actually have a positive effect for brands. Essentially, what they're saying is, If a brand or a product or a restaurant that you are particularly loyal to gets a bad review, your natural inclination is to try and make up for that by becoming more loyal to that brand or product or restaurant or what have you. So in that respect, a bad review can actually help the uh, product or brand or restaurant or what have you. They uh, found in this research that social proximity of a negative reviewer plays a role in how consumers respond to a negative review. 
uh, social proximity in terms of demographic or geographic location, you versus the reviewer. Uh, researchers found that uh, it, they looked at three different products and they found that uh, participants who read a negative review by a socially distant reviewer actually showed higher interest in purchasing the product. So if you read a negative review from somebody, you know, say we're in Findlay, Ohio, if you read a restaurant review from someone, a local restaurant who happened to be visiting from, say, California, that would actually make you more interested in visiting said restaurant than less. Mm-hmm. The leader of the study, Dr. Lisa Cavanaugh, says when consumers personally identify with a brand, they see facets of themselves in that brand. When a reviewer leaves a disparaging comment about an identity-relevant brand, consumers feel compelled to protect said brand and, by extension, themselves by scrutinizing the source of the negative review. So, again, circles back to that old saying, any publicity is good publicity. And apparently it is true. Uh, but maybe not so in journalism. Did you hear about this story? The New York Times sent a memo to its journalist yesterday. The editor of the Times, uh, Dean Baquette, uh, sent a memo to uh, all Times journalists yesterday about what he called a reset in the paper's stance on social media, particularly Twitter, emphasizing that having a presence on social media, again, particularly Twitter, use them, use that platform by name, uh, is now purely optional for Times journalists. I I don't know that it's been mandatory in the past, but um, maybe it has. Maybe they require to all of their journalists to set up a Twitter feed, even if they or a, a Twitter account profile even if they didn't tweet very often, but now it is completely optional for Times journalists. And uh, they are actually encouraging those who do use Twitter to meaningfully reduce their time on the platform. Even the Times is uh, looking at scaling back their social media use. I think you know all of us are starting to kind of rethink our relationship with social media. Well, here, even the New York Times. In the memo, which was obtained by other news organizations, uh, the executive editor of the Times writes, we can rely too much on Twitter as a reporting or feedback tool, which is especially harmful to our journalism when our feeds become echo chambers. In other words, he's saying we get a skewed sense of reality when all we are looking at in terms of feedback uh, is from people who follow our accounts, read the Times, so on and so forth, and we get that uh, skewed sense of uh, importance or um, effectiveness within the community because all we're hearing is you know from our own followers. They're just echo chambers. There have been concerns both internally at the Times and from outside at the organization as well that uh, they have become too reactive to Twitter. And so now the company says that off-the-cuff tweets can damage our journalistic reputations. So, again, just a uh, another indication of even more people kind of rethinking their relationship to social media, even the New York Times. Kind of interesting. Uh, speaking of social media, there is now a trend of older women uh, posting 
makeup-free selfies on social media. This is a report in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, social media platforms, it turns out, don't just harm the psyche of teenagers, but can be harmful to women as they age. Because they become very self, self-conscious of their appearance. And, you know, to be fair, it's not just women. It could be men, too. But in this case, women are fighting back with these selfies to embrace the, the real you and uh, their actual age. So makeup-free selfies, now a thing among older women. Psychiatrist Dr. Samantha Boardman says it is satisfying to feel connected and not so alone in how you look, uh, particularly as you age. So there is generosity in that when it's authentic. She does caution that the natural look might be staged at times with products, treatments, and injectables, even selected uh, lighting um, and maybe filters. But uh, for the most part, these natural selfies are a good thing. And some brands like Dove and Olay are supporting the trend by using real photos that are not retouched across a wide spectrum of ages to showcase women's beauty at whatever stage they are in life. So I thought that was kind of interesting, not just uh, for teen girls uh it's for everyone by the way speaking of makeup and trends there is a new online trend that has people spraying hair dye on their faces to get fake freckles (laughs) beauty gurus posting videos of themselves spraying instant root concealer on their faces to achieve the look of freckles Uh, Many of the videos have gone viral and show an individual uh, first botching the procedure before mastering it. Um, Of course, there are those who don't like the trend, um, but many people say that they're pretty happy with the results. Fake freckles is the online beauty trend of the day. It's kind of interesting. I actually think that's a a neat idea. And uh, how about this in terms of the first things you need to know This morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, a school district in Pennsylvania is now instituting a new policy to search every student when they get to school. They're not searching for weapons. They're not searching for contraband. They want to make sure that they don't have too many snacks. (laughs) They're not searching for weapons and drugs and anything like that. No, they want to make sure that they don't have too many snacks when they show up at school. New policy, which has led to both praise and condemnation from divided parents, the Aliquippa School District said in a Facebook post last week that students at their junior and senior high schools would begin having their bags searched and anything they have that's more than a four-ounce bag of chips or a 20-ounce drink would be thrown away. (laughs) Kind of like going through airport security. A uh, four-ounce bag of chips, 20-ounce drink, anything larger than that, they're going to throw it away. The uh, district said students have been bringing in shopping bags full of chips and candy and soft drinks. And the superintendent says students have been selling and trading the snacks, and it's leading to arguments and uh, disagreements, fights, and, and all of that that they then have to contend with. He said, I don't think any child needs to bring in a family-sized bag of chips just for the day. So, they're cracking down. <laughs> All right, then. 
You know, here's the thing. I, I know the first reaction that I had when I read that story is like, really? I mean, is this really something we have to worry about? And then on the other hand, I thought, you know what? If this is the worst thing they have to worry about, then that's actually probably a pretty good school. You know what I mean? There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started. WFIN News, I'm John Marshall. Your WTOL 11 weather, showers off and on today with a high 48, a chance of rain or snow showers, a low 32. The funeral for fallen Bluffton police officer Dominic Francis will be held today. The services will be held at the Summers Center at Bluffton University. Burial will follow at Clymer Cemetery. Last week, Officer Francis was struck and killed by a fleeing vehicle while deploying spike strips on Interstate 75. The 42-year-old had served as law enforcement for 19 years. The Fort Finley FOP Lodge 20 Foundation has established an official fundraising drive authorized by his family. We have a link to that on our website. Site. A University of Findlay alumnus and his wife are giving the university its biggest single gift ever. The $6 million gift from Billy and Brenda Watterson will support construction of the new Watterson Center for Ethical Leadership on campus. Billy says that the goal is to create an army of ethical leaders. The reality is, is that we live in such a fractured society today and we can't even speak to each other. We hate each other. We don't even know why. We haven't even met each other. And the reality is that with these leaders, we're learning to do the right things for the right reasons. Billy says that the new building will provide a space for students to become well-rounded ethical leaders, no matter what professional career path they choose. See video from the announcement on the website. Ohio Treasurer Robert Sprague of Findlay is recognizing National Financial Literacy Month as an opportunity to shine a light on financial education and empowerment efforts, as well as the importance of developing strong personal financial skills. Sprague says sound financial education strengthens not only individuals and families, but also the overall economic health of Ohio's communities. Heisman finalist C.J. Stroud is wearing a new helmet this year. It's different looking, but Stroud says all that matters is that it's comfortable and supposedly safer. I think it's funny when people make fun of me and stuff, and I don't really care. I, I try to always, like, I don't want to say be a trendsetter, but I always try to, like, start things. And it's comfortable. I think my health is more important than how it looks. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I don't want to ever suffer from concussion. That's ONN's Dom Tiberi reporting. I'm John Marshall, WFIN News. Well, you know, at one time, the New York Sun was considered one of America's most influential newspapers. Founded in 1833, it may be most famous for publishing a letter from a little girl named Virginia and the editor's response assuring her that there is indeed a Santa Claus. The New York Sun originally ceased operations in 1950 before a short-lived revival in 2002. Now it is being relaunched again as an online daily with national and international coverage and an aim to help restore public trust in the press. Dovid Ifun is publisher and chairman of this new New York Sun. Dovid, why, why now? Why was this the right time to relaunch the New York Sun? Thank you for having me, Chris. Uh question of right now is fundamental. The truth is, there is no better or more important time to be relaunching the New York Sun. I don't have to tell you that journalism and newspapers in the country today are really in crisis. You have a situation where trust in media has ebbed to historic lows. It's less than half what it was when 
records began in 1972. Mm -hmm. You know, recent studies, you know, 90,000 people in 45 different countries. The United States ranked lowest in media trust. 54% of Americans believe journalists are deliberately trying to mislead them. There's a crisis in trust where the this fundamental institution that's supposed to serve as the safety net uh, of American public life and American democracy is not just not fulfilling its function and its role, but many Americans feel is actually serving the opposite function and even a harmful role in society. So, you know, the sun comes to back to the fore of American public life in exactly that moment. It's a newspaper that shines for all as it declares on its uh, iconic masthead. It's a newspaper that has 200 years of history, almost 200 years advocating for the American public, fighting for the American public. It's uh, exactly what's needed now more than ever. The New York Sun, I would argue, is the newspaper for this very moment. So that is a big ask to uh, sort of single-handedly restore public trust in the press. How do you plan to do that? Well, look, Rome was not built in a day, um, and we understand that, uh, you know, our goal and our vision, you know, is really as big as the, the crying need that exists. I mean, our first goal was to bring back the journal, the first step in the process in a, a form and a platform that's accessible to everybody. You've got a brand new web platform online that we've taken some time to put together. It's built for community building, for user engagement. Um, and our second order of business will be ensuring that we can bring the sun back in front of as many Americans as possible. And we have a, an advanced and thoughtful digital strategy to be able to do that. But I think most importantly is in the team that we've assembled, um, the hearts and minds, um, the thought leaders. I mean, we probably interviewed about 300 people. We had applicants from across the country and selected a handful of the best and the brightest. Uh, we know that the strength of any newspaper is not measured in market cap or cash on hand, but uh, really in the hearts and minds of its editors and journalists. And the Sun is really unique in that regard. And we're excited to, to be able to, to bring the Sun back to the American public and start to deliver on that promise. So we know that trust is something that's earned, it's granted. And we expect that it will take some time, but we're in it for the long haul and we're here to stay. So one of the other uh, realities of media today and the news business today, the press, is that not only is there a level of distrust, or maybe because there is a level of distrust, we have seen uh, sort of a splintering uh, in, in that different news organizations uh, are, are catering to specific subsets of the uh, population as opposed to um, equally appealing uh, across the board. So what type of reader do you aim to appeal to and what type of content do you uh, gravitate toward to appeal to that group of individuals? I mean, look, newspapers and journalists have always had a perspective, you know, and, and a unique uh, worldview from the days of, you know, Walter Cronkite and William F. Buckley. Um, you know, there was a time when even if 
there were differences. Even if the newspaper had a worldview that wasn't your own, you still had that respect for it, for its authority, for its credibility, for its for its gravitas. And, you know, that's what we feel uh, has really been lost. I mean, you can trust a person who you disagree with mm-hmm. if you know that they're up thing and, and, you know, they have the best intentions in, in how they, 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 they come to the table with their views. And, you know, in our view, a newspaper is really no different. You know, there's certainly a lot of political activities surrounding what you might call the balkanization of, of journalism. But, you know, we're seeing something bigger here, you know, bigger than people who are frustrated over the politics of newspapers are people who feel that the fundamental principles of newspapers have been disregarded. You know, instead of, you know, serving as the primary responsibility of a newspaper should be, holding the powers that be to account on behalf of the public, you have a lot of journalists and newspapers that see their role as policing the people on behalf of the powers that they favor and telling them what they should or shouldn't do or who they should or shouldn't vote for or what they should or shouldn't believe or say. You know, we're a newspaper that shines raw, that puts the American public and our public first. And you may not agree with everything that we have to say, but, you know, we want you to know, and we want the public to know um, that we can be trusted. We, if we have something to say, it will be well researched. It will be important. It will be valuable to you and to the future of the country and hopefully the world as well. It is a big ambition, and as you were mentioning earlier, uh, you aim to not be so focused on the bottom line as the larger mission, but at the same time, the bottom line is important. It is a business, after all, and you you have to be able to survive. What is the long-term strategy for growth beyond this initial stage? Absolutely. We're a digital subscriptions business. We believe that this is uh, the future of the industry in general. Um, and we will survive and thrive and grow um, on the basis and as a result of the community that we're able to build around ourselves. The New York Times just announced there are 10 million subscriber. Our sense is that there are 10 times more that number that have become frustrated by what the New York Times represents and are seeking a different and better alternative. And that's what, what, what we're offering. So we encourage everybody to come visit nysun.com. Um, check out you know our, our new website. We've just published the articles, the headlines, the perspective. Um, when it asks you for your email, I encourage you to pop that in there and you'll start to receive the Sun daily. Um, in the morning, the evening, we've got the morning sun and the evening sun. On the weekends, we've got the weekend sun. And uh, consider becoming a subscriber. They start at just 12 bucks a month. Um, we'll need to get, uh, you know, the numbers to be up there to, 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 to build and to grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, but our sense, obviously, is that uh, there's a lot of hunger out there uh, among the American public. And uh, our arms are open. Um, welcome the, the warm rays of the dawning sun. And uh, we can help uh, dispel some of the distrust that looms over our democracy. That's our vision. That's our, our promise to readers and subscribers. We will link up to it on our webpage. Worth checking out. Dova Defoon is a publisher and chairman of this new New York Sun. Uh, Dova, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. We appreciate it.
Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Chris. Well, you know, Easter may not have the same intensity as Christmas when it comes to gift giving, but a lot of parents and especially grandparents are going to be using the opportunity to give a new toy to the little ones. And because play has such a profound impact on childhood development, Jennifer Lynch is with us this morning. She is Toy Trends Specialist with the Toy Association, has some ideas for us this morning. And Jennifer, first of all, talk a little bit about uh, the benefits of uh, childhood play and why we should think beyond just you know, something that will uh, give kids something to do or light up their uh, eyes on uh, Easter, uh, you know, in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. You know, play has so many different benefits, um, educational benefits and developmental benefits. Um, it helps to develop their fine and gross motor skills with an arts and craft kit or a building set. Um, you know, it offers a little bit of social emotional support when you look to um, stuffed animals, for example. Um, lots of different ways. Also gets kids up and moving and active and engaging with their environment instead of, you know, sitting on the couch. <laughs> Absolutely. So before uh, deciding on what will go into the Easter basket, uh, tell us about uh, some of the uh, uh, most popular gifting ideas for the season. Yeah, so um, obviously um, I think the great thing about toys is that they offer a great candy-free, sugar-free alternative to um, gifts in the Easter basket. Sure. They also offer a lot of repeat play value as well. Um, so, for example, the Scribble Scrubbies Arctic Pets line from Crayola. It's this line of um, collectible pet characters that you can actually color and design on. So, um, but they because they feature this little flocked um, fuzzy texture to it, you can actually draw on it with your Crayola markers. But the real fun is that you can um, stick them in water, and it's going to wash them off and offer a clean slate that you can then draw on, doodle on all over again. And with the Arctic Pets, um, it's got a color change feature. So when you dip it in water, it's going to change the pet's color from blue to white and then back again. So really engaging for kids. Uh, another great option to go with is, as I mentioned, building sets, um, construction. Lego toys are perfect for that. Um, I really like the new Lego John Deere tractor set. Um, it's for ages eight and up, and it's perfect for families to really build and create together. Um, because it's part of the Lego Technic line, um, it features realistic parts, and they made it in partnership with John Deere. So this is really huh. true to life, really realistic looking. It's got that um, iconic green and yellow color to it, big, huge, chunky wheels and articulated steering. Um, again, bringing that to life so then kids can role play with it once they finish building it. I saw the uh, uh, statistics from the National Retail Federation said that uh, this year for Easter, families are going to spend close to $170 on Easter gifts. And I, I you know, we, we said it may not have the intensity uh, of Christmas, but uh, it, we are still spending big bucks. What are some of the uh, trends that you are seeing with respect to that? Yeah, um, one of the big trends that we're seeing is um, families and kids turning to toys to offer a little bit of extra comfort and emotional support. And I think especially for an Easter basket, what's really perfect is a stuffed animal for that. And obviously, you think Easter Bunny in the Easter basket, but there's a lot of different types of stuffed toys that you can go with instead of an Easter Bunny. Um, for example, the Squishmallows line, it has this new wildlife collection. They're these really are um, a 
adorable um, stuffed characters. They feature an assortment of characters ranging from an antelope to an orangutan that's kind of got this fuzzy texture to it to an armadillo that's kind of got this um, uh, metallic uh, design to it. So really neat textures to these toys. But what's also great about them is, you can't see me right now, but I'm giving my uh, my uh, antelope a big squeeze because they're so soft, <laughs> they're so cuddly. And they're perfect for ages birthing up. So really great if you're looking for a first Easter basket gift option. Um, I have a little one at home celebrating her first Easter this year, so she's probably Aww. getting a Squishmallows or two in her basket. <laughs> that is um, awesome. Another, uh, yeah, and then another great option to go with is a um, activity set that offers a lot of repeat play value. So there's the mini Clay World candy cart from Clutch. So this is um, got that sweet theme to it, but it's sugar-free, which kids will um, make, and their parents especially are going to like. Um, but you can craft your own clay candy creations. You can make rainbow-colored candies, these um, balls of tie-dye jawbreakers or clouds of cotton candy that have that same texture to them with this set. And then you can craft um, your own little display stand, a candy cart out of cardboard that's really got that um, iconic candy colors to it. So those bright pinks, those bright yellows and blues. Um, so a great place to display your creations as well. I love it. Thinking outside the box or outside the Easter basket, as the case may be. Uh, Jennifer, exactly. <laughs> Jennifer Lynch is a, a toy ten, trends specialist with the Toy Association. Where do we get uh, more information on these and other uh, great gift ideas for Easter? You can head over to thegeniusofplay.org for more great play ideas and inspiration. We'll link it up on our webpage. Jennifer, thanks very much for uh, taking the time, and uh, you have a happy Easter with your new little one there at home. Thank you. Have a good one. So in case you missed it, uh, this weekend, just in time to give your place a spring refresh, the Findlay Home and Garden Show returns to the Cube with plenty of expert ideas and professional help to create your dream living space. Last week, we spoke uh, to one of the uh, co-organizers of the Findlay Home and Garden Show, Chad Mullins, about the event, which begins today. We were just talking before we went on the air. How long has it been since uh, Finley has had a home and garden show? And it's been a number of years. Yeah, we're glad to um, to be here. Uh, we've got a lot of good comments from our vendors that are saying, hey, we're glad it's back too. We've missed yeah. it. It used to be one of the top shows in the area or right. was the top show in the area. And yeah. They're all excited about being back April 8th, 9th, and 10th okay. on uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And so Friday is 4 to 9, Saturday is 10 to 7, and Sunday is 11 to 5. And just like uh, has has been in the past, people will, will remember, is really just about anything and everything imaginable for your home and garden and everything else. Yeah, and uh, I'd like to say we'd like to thank our sponsors, too. Uh, the Basement Doctor, uh, Hempy Water, and Be Safe Security. Along with them, we've got if you're doing your bathrooms, your roofing, your siding, new windows, it's all going to be there. They'll have their products on display, and, you know, you can sit and get their ideas and it's always nice to look stuff up on the internet but mm -hmm. at the show you can actually see it see it feel it you know touch it and talk with uh with the experts one-on-one yes. -on -one, uh you know kind of give them your ideas bounce ideas off people and and all of that so uh, it's i know it's something that everybody looks forward to so. yeah and then we on saturday we got something a little bit special uh it's uh children's day 
Okay. And we've got uh, a 14-foot uh, dinosaur there, and uh, her shows will be at 1130, 130, and 330, and that's all for the children. That'll be fun. That'll be fun. It's not something you see every day, so. <laughs> no, it's, it's pretty good. Uh, great uh, great fun for the entire family. And uh, we were talking uh, again before we went on the air. The response has been uh, just terrific. Yes, it has. We've got all kind of exhibitors there. And also, if you have uh, get to that age where you're wanting to sell your house and and move on and, and get your motor home and live in that. We've also got a few of those there to, to show you also. Well, that's awesome. I know that has been, that actually, I kind of chuckle about that, but there have been a number of people, oh, yeah. that, especially during the uh, pandemic, uh, become sort of uh, nomads and uh, discover yeah. that, uh, you know, having a home on wheels ain't such a bad deal either. No. And then if you're having trouble with your flowers, or you want information on your uh, flowers, we've got the Hancock Master Garden, Hancock County Master Gardeners um, Association is going to be there to answer your questions about, you know, how to take care of your flowers, when to plant them, what to plant. If you've got insect problems, how to take care of that also. Yeah. So, again, uh, everything for your home and garden inside and out. So, give us the uh, details again. It's April 8th, 9th, and 10th. Okay. And it's on Friday, 4 to 9, Saturday, 10 to 7, and Sunday, 11 to 5. Admission is only $5. Okay. Uh, children 12 and under is free. Free parking just makes it real convenient to, to get in there. And this is all happening out of the, out of the cube? At the cube, yes. Okay. Uh, how many uh, vendors, and I know you, you were saying that uh, you just got about got all of the vendor space filled. How many, not to put you on the spot, but... Uh, we're at, um, I always count everything in booths. We're at probably over 100 booths. Okay, so... Uh, and, you know, a lot of the, a lot of good vendors. So you're going to see some nice displays. Yeah, so there are going to be a lot of things there. Yes. Whatever it is that you're thinking for your yes. uh, spring spruce up, uh, yes. there'll be something there to, to help out. Yes. You have a uh, website. Uh, yes, it's the finleyhomeshow.net or the finleyhomeandgardenshow.com, either one. And we've got that linked up at our webpage. You can go to goodmornings.net to uh, learn more about the uh, Finley Home and Garden Show. If you want to hear the uh, entire interview, I believe it was from uh, last Monday, you can check out the Good Mornings podcast edition for the uh, full uh, interview, but you get the idea. Finley Home and Garden Show this weekend at the Cube beginning this afternoon. In case you missed it, our conversation last week with uh, Chad Mullins, uh, there for the Finley Home and Garden Show, goodmornings.net to learn more. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. A Texas man is accused of beating his roommate with a stick over an argument. Well... <laughs> I'll tell you what the argument was in just a moment. Dallas police say 43-year-old Victor Simone Shavers beat his roommate bloody early this past Sunday morning. The roommate told police the argument was, was about mosquitoes, specifically what a mosquito looks like. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> it was a disagreement that led to an argument. That led to a physical altercation. He's <laughs> beaten to a bloody pulp. Uh, Mr. Shavers grabbed a stick and struck his roommate in the head at least six times. Uh, the uh, roommate is going to be fine. He's uh, recovering. Mr. Shavers now facing a charge of assault. 
an argument about what a mosquito looks like. The report does not say who won the argument or who is correct in the argument. <clears throat> Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, some really odd uh, stories here. In uh, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, a foamy substance in a local creek is leaving environmental officials scratching their heads. Local news reports say that a man in Lawrenceburg, about 25 miles west of Lexington, noticed the creek behind his home was producing a lot more foam than usual. He notified authorities, and after investigating, it was revealed that a pet shampoo company had one of its products released into a storm drain. <laughs> a, a spokesperson for the company said the shampoo is not environmentally harmful since it is uh, all-natural and coconut-based. So, <laughs> all the fish are very clean. Uh, let's see. In uh, Kansas City, uh, well, yeah, it was outside of Kansas City, Labette County, um, an abandoned mobile home by the side of a dirt road, uh, apparently being blamed, the whole thing being blamed on tire trouble. The Kansas City Star reports the discovery of an abandoned motor home by the side of a dirt road prompted the Labette County Sheriff's Office to take to Facebook and ask for help in identifying the owner. <laughs> Now, that's just not something that you expect. They have to post on Facebook, is this your home? <laughs> We'd like to know who this home belongs to. Apparently, the uh, mobile home was in the process of being moved from Kansas to Oklahoma when several tires blew out, and they just left it there. They just left it there. The mobile home has since been cleared from the road. <laughs> Well, the tires blew out. Uh, we'll just leave the house here. <laughs> just leave your house by the side of the road. Okay. <clears throat> Speaking of unusual police calls, bomb squad, bomb squad called into a potato chip factory uh, in Auckland, New Zealand. Not because the chips were exploding with flavor, but rather because. One of the workers found a grenade mixed in with the potatoes on the production line. While working the night shift, Richard uh, Chirakura, who works at the uh, chip factory, found what turned out to be a training grenade in the potato reception area, as it's called, where the potatoes are unloaded from delivery trucks onto a conveyor belt into the factory. Um, Richard bravely plucked the grenade from the belt. He didn't know it was a, a training grenade at the time. He plucked it from the belt, called the cops. Thankfully, it turned out to be uh, a dummy. No, explos uh, no explosives. No one was hurt, obviously. The grade, uh, grenade is now uh, with the police who are conducting an investigation onto how this all happened. However, the manager of the factory is hoping to get it back and they want to put it in their trophy room, <laughs> said uh, factory manager Roland Spitales. It made for a more interesting night than we normally have <laughs> on the night shift. I would imagine so. And a couple of other stories in the uh, broken news here this morning. A North Texas teacher 
is stepping down after a science experiment went horribly wrong. Uh, the Granbury Independent School District says the middle school teacher put hand sanitizer on a 12-year-old student's hands and then lit it on fire. That did not end well. The uh, student is recovering from burns. Police are investigating. And the teacher is now unemployed. I mean, honestly. I mean, who thinks that that's a, a good idea? Hey, here's a great science experiment. We're going to put hand sanitizer on this kid's hands and then light it on fire. See what happens. Not real smart. Uh, and finally, in the uh, broken news this morning... Uh, let this be a cautionary tale to double check before applying for a job. Of all of the mistakes to make, a man by the name of Jacques Paul recently took to social media to explain that he spent hours carefully completing an application form on a, uh, for a digital marketing position. And he's applying for a job as a digital marketer. After sending off his application, he realized that instead of a cover letter, he had attached his STD test results to the application. <laughs> uh, he said he uh, realized he could not retract the uh, cover letter mistake without withdrawing his application altogether, meaning that he would have to ultimately explain his embarrassing mishap to the job recruiter. He said 72, late, uh, 72 hours later, he got a standard message from the company saying that they we're not proceeding with his application. <laughs> so let that be a lesson to you. Double check before you apply for a job. And especially, it makes it especially bad because he was applying for a job as a digital marketer. If you can't even get that right, then, yeah, you're probably not right for the job. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Oh, uh, that is uh, today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -mm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Uh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. This message provided by WFIN. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news, and the statistics that shape our lives. Speaking of uh, shaping our lives, a lot of us are out of shape, and that is not news. I mean, we've known for a long time that Americans as a whole uh, are not in the best of shape. Half of Americans, according to a new survey, are not taking great care of their health and well-being. 53% of 2,000 Americans in this poll, 53% do not consider their lifestyle to be healthy, which I thought is really significant because that shows more than half of us we're not taking care of ourselves and we know it. So if we know it, why don't we lead a more healthy lifestyle? Well, same number, 53%, say they do not feel capable of improving their health. 
which I thought was equally interesting. The poll split respondents up by their current household income and uh, came up with some interesting results. Those with a lower income are more likely to agree with the sentiment that they are not leading a healthy lifestyle and they can't do anything about it. Of those with an income between thirty and $60,000 a year, about two-thirds do not feel capable of improving their overall health, compared to only about half of respondents with an income between sixty dollars and $100,000 a year. So maybe income plays a part of it. We can't afford you know, a gym membership. We can't afford to buy healthier foods. Maybe that's the perception. But regardless of income, when asked what is holding people back from living a healthier lifestyle, so this they asked everyone, what's holding you back? A lack of understanding actually topped the list. 39% said that they don't know the best actions to take in order to be healthy. Feeling overwhelmed with all of the different options was cited by 39%. Which I certainly can understand that it's you know healthy uh, health and wellness and weight loss and all of that is a multi billion dollar industry in this country. So that means it attracts a lot of players in that space. It's easy to get overwhelmed with all of the different options. Thirty nine percent of Americans said that, and as we speculated here, cost uh, followed closely behind, cited as a barrier by thirty six percent of those in the survey. But interestingly, 36% was across the board. Those with lower incomes and those with higher incomes equally say cost is a barrier to better health. Once again, my wife Kyra has joined us in the studio with another collection of tasty and easy-to-make recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. Good morning. A very good morning <laughs> to you. No one, no one is happier that it is Friday than my wife, Kyra. Yes. It's been one of those weeks. It's been one of those one weeks. One more week. That's one week. more week. Got big Easter uh, celebration coming up, so <laughs> the countdown is on. Yes. <laughs> yep. We do have... Uh, uh, some more uh, recipes. Um, this is kind of easy stuff. Yes. Well, they're all easy, I, but I oh, mean, yeah. especially easy, even by your standards, <laughs> um, and, which is fine. And I yeah. think perfect timing because, you know, we've got the uh, big Easter feast coming yes. up yep. uh, here in a week. So yep. you want to take it easy in the kitchen so that you don't overexert yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I never overexert myself when it comes to cooking. Exactly. exactly. But uh, anyway, so uh, today's recipes, we have uh, roasted vegetables with uh, sausage and ravioli. Yes. So a 12-ounce bag of frozen ravioli, uh, six ounces of smoked sausage sliced, um, a half of a sweet onion onion uh diced but large larger pieces okay. uh one pepper uh large dice and one large red potato sliced um four tablespoons of balsamic dressing 
I probably used more than that because I, I was going to say, yeah. yeah, when we had this the other yeah. night, it, it seemed uh, yeah. a bit sharper yeah. than I that. Liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, yeah. depending on how how you like it, yeah, you do what you do, right. and in the kitchen, and with this type of cooking, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. So, so preheat your oven to four hundred. Uh, 400 degrees, toss the vegetables and sausage in a bowl with your dressing, and then put that on a cookie sheet and bake it for about 15 minutes. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. You did this on a uh, cookie sheet yep. um, because I would have thought that this would have been a perfect one for your wok. Yeah, no, I did this one in the cookie just, sheet. And mm-hmm. again, just not in a pan, yep. not in the wok, nope. uh, just on a cooking cookie, sh- sheet. cookie sheet mm-hmm. and uh, put yep, that in the I oven. I roasted it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and cook your ravioli as directed on the package. Then strain your ravioli, season with some salt and pepper, Add that to your sausage mix, sausage and vegetable mixture, and then cook until the veg, vegetables are tender. Um, it's usually about, I did it, it was probably about 20 more minutes for me. Okay. So I, depending on your oven. I Yeah. Um, and I I like the uh, potatoes a little softer, so oh, okay. I would have probably left it in maybe in three another, or four minutes yeah. Yeah, later. Well, longer. probably would have been about another five minutes or so. Okay. Yeah. So just something to keep yeah. in mind. Maybe something to check, yeah. depending on how firm yeah. you like those yeah. uh, potatoes. Yeah, use your fork. Exactly. And, yeah. And so. some of the potatoes might be, you know, if they're on the edge, those might be a little bit more mushy than the ones in the center, too. So, <laughs> yeah. so there so, you go. The yeah. uh, roasted vegetables with sausage and ravioli, which, again, is one of those recipes that looks... Really complicated, yeah. but it's isn't. really easy and really yeah. good. Uh, to go yeah. along with that, you have a spinach salad for us. Yes, so six ounce of your mini spinach, uh, two hard boiled eggs sliced, uh, two Roma tomatoes sliced, one English cucumber sliced, and one cup of mushrooms sliced. Okay, wait a minute. What is the difference between an English cucumber and your everyday average run of the mill cucumber? They're skinny, and most of the time they're seedless. Oh, so they don't have okay. the seeds in them. So you learn so, something new every day. They're here. not quite as mushy in the middle. All right. So that's for the salad and then yes. for the dressing. Uh, a one-third cup olive oil, extra virgin, uh, three tablespoons of apple cider vinegar, two teaspoons of Dijon mustard, and two tablespoons of soy sauce. Mm, that's going to have a lot of flavor. Yes. So in a large salad bowl, combine, uh, add your spinach, your eggs, your tomatoes, your cucumbers, and your mushrooms. And then in a small mason jar, add your o- olive oil, your cider, your vinegar cider, um, your Dijon mustard, and your soy sauce. Uh, Screw the lid on tight and shake it up real well, and then pour the dressing over your salad before serving and toss gently, and done. There you go. (laughs) Yep. Again, really simple stuff. Yes. And for dessert, cherry pie bars. Yes. So one cup of butter softened, two cups of sugar, four eggs, one teaspoon of vanilla extract, half a teaspoon of salt, quarter teaspoon of almond extract. And this, with this recipe, that is one thing you don't want to leave out. That almond extract just gives it a little bit of an extra really good taste. Okay. And then three cups of almond all-purpose flour, and two cans of your cherry pie filling. So preheat your oven to 350 degrees. Then in a mixing bowl, cream your butter, your sugar, and then add your eggs, your vanilla, and your ex- your almond extract. And then beat that until it's well mixed. Add your flour and salt, mixing well. And then spread half of the batter in a jelly roll baking pan uh, that has been sprayed with a nonstick cooking spray. Mm-hmm. Then spoon the pie filling over the batter, then randomly drop 
tablespoons of your remaining batter over the top of the pie filling. Don't mix it. Just drop it in spots. Make it look kind of cool, you know. Okay. And and then bake for at uh, three for thirty to thirty five minutes or until a toothpick comes out clean. Um, and you're gonna kind of have to go to the side. For for that, because I mean, okay. it's not going to come out clean with the pie filling. So just kind of get find one of your crust pieces okay. to make sure that comes out clean. All right, and then you know it's done. And you cool that off, mm-hmm. slice it up. Mm-hmm. And you're and all good. Serve. Mm. Yum. That'd be good. Uh, again, with Easter coming up, yep. you've got uh, been tasked with bringing a dessert. Yes, that'll this go was over well. An easy one to do and. Mm-hmm. And you can do it the day before and put it on a pretty plate and take it. Absolutely. Yes. So the recipes for the roasted vegetables with sausage and ravioli, the spinach salad, and the cherry pie bars are are all posted at the Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page at Kyra's Kitchen WFIN. If you have not yet liked the Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page, make sure that you do so. We have them uh, linked up at the WFIN Facebook page, as always, and linked up at goodmornings.net. And... So we always say if you have a recipe yes. that you would like to share, you can post it there to the Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page or uh, message us with that. Um, are there any questions about the recipes? Put it on Facebook. Right there and we'll yep. get back to you. Yep. And um, if you are looking for a recipe for uh, yes. maybe Easter. If you have a suggestion or something. Suggestion, yes. something that you're looking for. Yes. Uh, let us know on that as well. Recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. My wife, Kyra, with us in the studio this morning. Kai, thanks very much. You're welcome. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests who joined us on the program this morning and all this week. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. We are always on 24-7 on the World Wide Web. Coming up Monday on the program, we have details on the Findlay Municipal Court's upcoming 5th Annual Safe Surrender Day event. Until Monday morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, a great weekend. We'll catch you back here next week.